Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. All right, it's an active morning. Um, Happy Mother's Day, by the way, if I haven't said that already. But you enjoying the uh, Revelation series? Okay, it was a little awkward there, but uh, just curious. It's definitely an interesting book, as you probably already knew, and some of the weeks we've dealt with some really bizarre imagery, but I think today and next week, next week's the last week of this, uh, it's two of my favorite chapters maybe in all of Scripture. Um, So uh, really uplifting, encouraging way that John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John, who also wrote Revelation. It's really encouraging how he wraps this vision up. So stay tuned. But I also, much like the writer John, I sometimes have the gift of being able to see into the future. I can see things. I get visions. And I I had this very clear vision this week, and it involved Pastor Tony. Now, it's good news and bad news. At the end of Pastor Tony's full-lived life, he dies. I know. But here's the good news. He made it to heaven. He did. And I fully expected to tell this story with him sitting here, but ironically, he got sick last night. <laughs> so now I'm a little nervous about this story. But, so he gets to heaven, and He sees St. Peter at the gates, and he's excited, and he's like, wow. But in front of him in line is a a dark-haired individual, scruffy beard, leather jacket, jeans, and boots on. And St. Peter comes out, and Tony waits his turn. This guy goes first, and St. Peter goes, okay, welcome. Let me hear your name and what you did throughout your life. This guy goes, hey, my name is Vinny. I'm from New York, and I drove a taxi for 40 years, Pete, 40 years. St. Peter goes, excellent, wow, well done. And all of a sudden, up comes an SUV Cadillac, top of the line. He goes, this is yours to drive for all eternity, and it doesn't need gas. And, and then he gave him a, a silk robe, like the most expensive silk you've ever, better than anything we have on earth, the silk robe and a gold, solid gold staff. And then he showed him his mansion, and it was glorious, the best mansion you can imagine. And then he's like, awesome. And he gets in his Cadillac and drives away. So Tony's excited now, right? So Tony's next in line, and he's like, Wow. This is going to be great. And Peter goes, so tell me your name and what you did throughout life. Tony, hopefully watching right now. (laughs) Tony says, my name is Anthony, Reverend Anthony Katko. (laughs) I am an ELCA pastor, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. I've done that my entire life. St. Peter goes, oh. Excellent. And all of a sudden, up, he, well, first he gets out a cotton robe, 
cotton robe, same one that he has down in our traditional closet right now, still in need of laundering. <laughs> he gives him a, a wood staff, kind of like this one, just plain wood, not even this fancy. And up pulls a 1976 Buick station wagon with wood paneling and an AM radio with an eight track. Some of you have to ask your parents what that is. And then he shows them a shack that he gets to live in and, and Tony is just like lost for words and he says, what's the deal? Like, the last guy drives a taxi, and, and he gets the best of the best. And I've been a pastor for years and years, bringing people to God. What, what's the deal? And St. Peter goes, well, yeah, you were a pastor. You preached sermons, and people slept. <laughs> this guy drove a taxi for 40 years, and people prayed. Thank you. <laughs> so think of these images of heaven. I mean, way too long of a story to start this sermon, but, but it was worth it. <laughs> think of the images and what we picture of heaven. What we picture. Some of it are, are cliches or stereotypes kind of cartoon images. We love to picture clouds and harps or angels floating around. Maybe we have some wings. Or I, I heard somebody once say, heaven is going to be like an unending worship service. <laughs> Even I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that. But you picture what, is, what does heaven look like? Will we be there? And what's it like? The author John gives us a little vision of what came to his mind, what he pictures God is up to. And, and he says, I'm just going to read some random parts from the 21st chapter. He, he starts dreaming out loud and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, that doesn't mean that there was, there's not going to be an ocean anymore. Basically, they believed that in these days that the uh, waters held evil. And so he's basically saying there will be no evil. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So think of that. We always have this picture of us going up, but... The way John describes it, heaven's coming down. The new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them, and they will be God's peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away. We love this verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And some of you maybe need to hear this this morning. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. 
for the first things have passed away, and the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, I am making all new things. I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then I'll skip down a little bit. And it says, and in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with 12 gates, 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and, and he measured the city with his rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And then finally, he writes this, I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for its glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut. Never be shut. And there will be no night there. People will bring it into the glory, people will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nation. So I'll stop there for a little bit and you can see John just thinking huge thoughts about what this city, this new Jerusalem is gonna look like and what God is doing. I love these images, they're powerful. But think of the day in which John wrote this and you think, and, and by the way, I should mention, I get a lot of what I'm talking about today from a New Testament professor at Luther Seminary who's really studied Revelations, written a lot about it, and his name's Craig Kester. Um, Pastor Tony, before he died, showed me a, <laughs> a video by him, and it was really fascinating. So a lot of, want to give him kudos for this, but, but he points out what cities looked like in the day of when this was written. And Jerusalem really, other than the temple, wasn't that impressive of a city. It, it, it had hopes and dreams to be, and it had some amazing Herodian-constructed uh, palaces and, and fortresses, but it really wasn't that impressive of a place. One of the most impressive cities of the day was uh, Ephesus. And I, some of us were blessed enough to go there several years ago or a couple years ago when we were in Greece and Turkey, and I took this picture in the streets. It's one of the, uh, one of the archaeological masterpieces of the world because you can see how much of it is still standing thousands of years later. And you see how the streets are paved. This would have been a magnificent city. This is, of course, what Paul wrote to his congregation in Ephesus, a book we call Ephesians. And so 
uh, you see that there are arches and gates all throughout the city, and all of them had inscriptions above. And it usually was to someone like Augustus or another Caesar or a wealthy donor that had paid for the construction of a monument or a statue. And so it was, it was seen as this is what humans can do. And it's pretty impressive. It still is the condition it is 2,000 years later. Now, Rome, of course, blew this away. Rome was seen as the Mecca city of its day. As a matter of fact, Augustus Caesar said once that when I came to Rome, it was a city of bricks. I left it a city of marble. Sign of our status, a sign of what we can do as human beings on earth. Now, I have to admit, I love big cities, always have. I love the energy, the excitement, whether it's London or, or, or New York. I, I lived in New York City for a year for my internship, and I loved the energy and that, that feeling. Those of you who've been here probably have felt this, or maybe you felt like, I want to get out of here. But I love feeling like you're in the center of the world there for a while. And um, so I was excited when I took my now wife there, and I wanted to show her all the places because, you know, I'm Mr. New York. And so I wanted to show her all around. And so one day we went to Little Italy, we went down to uh, the statue, we went all over the city. And as it gets on toward the end of the day, we're still walking some eight hours later, and I'm still excited. She likes to call me the Energizer Bunny. I'm still like fired up, ready to go, and we're walking through Soho. And at one point, she finally goes, where are we going? And I said, nowhere, I just wanted you to see this. And she goes, we're not going anywhere? <laughs> Five minutes after that conversation, we were in a taxi back to the hotel. But she didn't share quite that same excitement. Now, she, on the other hand, loves Paris, and I do too. But, but I think about just those two wonderful cities and what we've constructed there. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I, I have mixed emotions about some of the things that we built. We all, or most of us, remember 9-11 and those towers that came crashing down. Now, do you remember right after that, there was conversation about what do we, what do we replace it with? And the thought was, we're not building another tower. That was the thought for a long time. We're not gonna do this again. Why, why do that again? Now, somewhere along the line, that conversation disappeared. Because then, what did we do? We constructed one even bigger as a way of saying, take that, right? Now, I have mixed emotions about that. On one hand, I love it. I love to see it and see how huge it is. But on the other hand, it's like, what, what do we try to prove with this? It's just mixed thoughts. Same kind of thoughts, although a different nature, go to Paris and the grand, wonderful city that it is. And it, and it has structures that are thousands of years old that we are in awe of. But we all remember a couple years ago, Notre Dame and the fire and watching that spire that had been there for over a thousand years just go and fall into the sanctuary itself. 
It's just this reminder that no matter what we think is eternal that we construct, it's a reminder that it's merely mortal, right? Uh, Augustine of Hippo, or Augustine of Hippo, has this quote. The earthly city glories in itself. The heavenly city glories in the Lord. It's an appropriate quote, I think, for this discussion. The earthly city glories in itself. The heavenly city glories in the Lord. We try to be impressive, but God's creation is much grander. Here's an interesting thing that I think John was trying to say. He's trying to say in the words that I read this morning that your imaginations, people, are too small. You can't even begin to imagine what God is constructing. I mean, look at some of the words that, he, that John uses to describe the new Jerusalem. He talks about gates that are 75 yards tall. I mean, our minds can't even begin to imagine that. 75 yards tall. And the city itself, did you, did you hear how wide and tall and long it is? 1,500 miles. And it's, a, it's, it's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles tall. I, I did a map of what's about 1,500 miles from Columbus. It would get us to Albuquerque. How's that for a city, John says. This city is beyond anything you can imagine. Now, he also says that there's no temple in this city. Why would that be? Because everything's holy. Everything's holy. And we see everything as holy. Now, here's the best part. What did he say about the gates? They're like Waffle House. It's always open. They're inviting you to come in and taste what's inside. Open 24-7, the gates are. See, the gates are designed, what John says, not to keep you out. The gates are designed to invite you in. All the stuff of this earth that we don't like, it stays out but we're invited to come in. And yet, what do we do when we have conversations about heaven? We ask the question, I wonder if I'll get in. <laughs> I wonder if I'm good enough. Will I get in? And the problem is, it's, it's, it's the wrong question because it, it's not about just you. God is designing a brand new future. God's at work doing it. God has been at work. God is at work. God continues to be at work with this building plan that God is doing. And God invites us and the whole world, I have to tell you, we all are invited to have a place in it. It's a glorious thing, but our imaginations are too small but we can try to tap into it. Martin Luther King did when he gave I Have a Dream speech. He tried to tap into this vision that John constructs here of a, of a bigger thing that God's doing. But even Martin Luther King Jr. admitted, I, I probably won't get there with you. But then at one point in his speech, he said, this is our hope. 
This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. It's a beautiful vision, but it's even too small to match what God is doing. Do you remember the story from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, uh, the people on earth built the Tower of Babel, and they thought it was so impressive. We finally have this new technology called a brick, and we can build this. They built what they thought was this humongous thing, and it, they thought it went into the skies. And then in the text, it says, God came down to look at it. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> it's, it's almost comical that God... This huge creation that mankind makes and God puts on his spectacles to see it. That's cute. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. And maybe some of you really need to hear this this morning. God is at work building a brand new future. God is at work, has been, and will continue to be at work designing this. And I hope if you take nothing else away from this morning, hear this. The gates are always open. Amen. 